on that, amen? Uh, glad to hear that, glad to hear that. Uh, so thankful for BYG, so thankful that they are uh, upstanding, fine young people uh, that represent you uh, and represent our church so well. But as you know, uh, I've been preaching on eternity for some weeks now, and I'd like to continue that on this morning. Uh, there is within every human heart a desire for home. And this desire for home can only be partially fulfilled here on earth. But someday, friend, we who are saved by faith, who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're going home. We're going to a home that's going to satisfy us more than we ever could imagine. Uh, as C.S. Lewis said, I find that nothing in this world truly satisfies me. Perhaps it's because I was made for another world. I believe there's a lot of truth in that. Jesus assured his disciples in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friend, for over 2,000 years, God himself has been preparing for you. God himself has been building a city, a city called the New Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, John uses that word city over 11 times to represent heaven. City. But friends, this is not just a figure of speech. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the great faith chapter of Hebrews, uh, the author wrote in verse 13, These all died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This morning, buckle up, because we're going to take a little tour of heaven. And I pray that you'll enjoy this tour. We have just two more messages in this series on eternity. Next week we're going to examine, but what about the children? And then to close out the series, we'll finish up with a sermon entitled, Living in the Light of Eternity. You know, I could have spent countless months preparing messages, studying about eternity, and still I'd have probably about as many questions as I have today. I'll tell you, I think this series has taught me more, has been more of a learning experience for me than I could ever describe to you. It's forced me to kind of think through some of my own ideas about what awaits me after death. Our most detailed description of heaven is found in Revelation 21 and 22. And to appreciate just how incredible heaven will be, we need to understand both the characteristics and the dimensions of a city. The dimensions and characteristics of a city that's going to be the center or capital, if you will, 
of heaven. The, the revelation, revelation describes it as being a new Jerusalem. It'll be the crown jewel, if you will, of the new creation of God. The new Jerusalem is not all of heaven, but just the capital city, per se. Let's read about it in Revelation chapter 21. John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Say, out of heaven. He saw the city coming out of heaven, okay? Out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Can I get a praise for that? There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues came to me, talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's new wife. And he carried, away, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, laid out as a square, and its length was as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. I'll tell you how long that is in a minute. He measured its length, he measured its breadth, and he measured its height, which are all equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundations was jasper, the second sapphire, the, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth 
Chrysoprase, the eleventh, Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. Can you, somebody say Amethyst? Amethyst? <laughs> say Amethyst. The twelve gates of, were of twelve pearls, and each gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let us pray. Father, we so yearn for home. Lord, give us a glimpse this morning, would you? We love you and we praise you for the hope of home. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want you to see in that lengthy chapter three things that our new heavenly home will have in it. Three things I want you to notice about our new heavenly home. But first, I want you to imagine for a second that we're standing in a valley. We're standing in a valley and we're looking up and we see above us towering a city. A city coming down from heaven in most, the most magnificent beauty. The very first thing that's going to make your jaw drop is how incredibly massive this city is. How incredibly enormous this city is. So let's take a look at the dimensions of this city. Verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured the wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. The city at the center of a future heaven is called the New Jerusalem, according to the scriptures. And the continual coming and going of travelers through the city gates suggests that this city is not all of heaven. It's just within heaven. It's not the whole of heaven. It's just the center or the capital of heaven, if you will. And the size of this new Jerusalem is almost inconceivable. It's the answer to anyone who's ever asked this question. How in the world is heaven ever able to, co to contain all the saved people through all the ages? You ever wondered that? That's a lot of people. But the city's exact dimensions, if we look at them, measured by an angel, are described as a cube. A cube with each side measuring 12,000 furlongs. That's 1,500 miles for its breadth, its length, and its height. So you don't have to worry, friend, about heaven being crowded. Because just the base alone, just the length and breadth of the base alone is over 2 million square miles, not to mention its height. Uh, 2 million square miles, that's a city the size of, uh, say, if you place the city in the center of the United States, it would reach from Canada 
to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to the border of California. That's a big city, amen? That's just the base alone. But perhaps more amazing than that is its height. If we give a 12-story, a 12-foot story, this city is going to be over 600,000 stories tall. That's a big city, a huge city. And within this vast and beautiful New Jerusalem, we're going to find personal dwelling places that God has prepared for us. So when you first see the city, you're going to be amazed because it's almost inconceivable how big this city is. But you won't only be amazed at the dimensions of the city, you're also going to be amazed at this description of the city. As you enter into the city, you're going to stand in amazement. Your jaw will drop, you will drop, you will probably drool, amen? You're going to be blown away at the size and beauty of this city. But I want to point out to you this morning five features that John tells us about this city called New Jerusalem. The first feature is the pearly gates. Who's heard of the pearly gates of heaven? Amen? Everybody's heard about the pearly gates of heaven. All of our lives, we've heard references to the pearly gates of heaven. But is it just a story? Is it just someone who uh, exaggerated the point, exaggerated the truth a bit? I mean, heaven is usually pictured with the single pair of pearly gates. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. And she had, the city, had a great and high wall with 12 gates. 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Not one pair of gates. 12 gates. 12 gates, each one made of single pearl. Now, there are some theologians who think there's great significance in the fact that the heavenly gates are made of pearl. Because you know that a pearl is formed by a grain of sand, an irritant, something that causes that oyster great suffering. And so the pearl that's created through suffering and affliction should remind anybody who enters this heavenly city that entrance is only possible through the pain and suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ. The pearl. Interesting. But not only is there the pearly gates, but there's also the foundations of precious stone. Look in verse 19 again. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And I'm not going to burden you with the names of all those precious stones again. But all these precious stones, after the gates of pearl, you walk in, and the second thing you're going to notice is the foundations of the city. Not just one foundation, 12 of them. 12 foundations. Normally you don't even see the foundations of a city because they're underground. But we're going to see this case in the New Jerusalem. We're going to see 12 foundations supporting the walls that are fully visible. And it's indescribably beautiful. This great city is going to be built upon a 12-layer foundation. And this New Jerusalem is not built on just one, but 12 of those foundations. There's the pearly gates, the foundations of beautiful and precious stones, but there's also the streets of gold. Has anybody ever heard that there's going to be streets of gold in heaven? Raise your hand. That's right, everybody's heard that. Verse 21, 
And the street of the city was pure gold, like that of precious stone. As we enter the city of New Jerusalem, we're going to see that the streets are indeed not paved with gold. They're made of gold completely. Now, I know that most people think that the streets of gold sometimes just come from fables and folklore and old tales. But even we sing about the streets of gold. We sing about the streets of gold in heaven. But really? Are they really made of gold? Well, I got it on the authority of the Word of God that the streets in this beautiful city are indeed made of pure gold. The street of the city was pure gold, just like transparent glass. But not only the pearly gates and these foundations of precious stone, not only the streets of gold, but there's a light in the city, a light that comes from the Lamb. The greatest thing will not be the glory of the city itself. The greatest thing in this city is going to be the Lamb who is the light. Verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. You know, this is not the first time that we hear this in Revelation because uh, Isaiah predicted it in chapter 60 of his prophecy. He said, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give your light to you. But the Lord will be an everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. See, there's not going to be any electric lights in the New Jerusalem. Not going to be any power generators. Not going to be any nuclear plants. Not going to be any light bulbs. No lamps of any kind. Why? Because they're unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. The presence of light will indeed radiate throughout the city, but it's going to impart from the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who's sitting on the throne. It's His glory, the brilliance of the glory of Jesus, who's going to fill that city. It's going to be bright, brighter than this room. So the light will come from the Lamb. But there's also something interesting I want to bring to your attention, and that is there's a river there. A river of life and a tree of life. We didn't read this, but in verse chapter 22, verse 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. When you get to the city, when you get to heaven, if you want to find the throne of God, if you want to find the throne of Jesus Christ, all you're going to have to do is follow the city, or follow the river, rather. The river leads straight to the throne of God. The crystal river flows from the throne of God. And on each side of that river, it's interesting because there's not just a tree of life, there are trees of life. There was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, too, wasn't there? You remember that? There was a tree of life that stood in the center of the Garden of Eden. And after Adam's fall into sin, that tree of life was removed. And do you know where it went? It was removed and went to heaven, according to Revelation chapter 2. Check this out. Chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's where the tree of life went. It went to heaven. So the city, beyond description, 
its dimensions beyond your wildest imagination will not only be the only distinguishing mark of heaven. Because there's another distinguishing mark about heaven, and that's not so much about what's in it, but what's absent from it. Let's look at the distinctions of the city. Yes, heaven is characterized by the things as much as by the things that are not there as the things you're going to see there. Verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No more tears. Is that what the Bible said? Did it say no more tears? For real? Verse 4, does it say no more tears? Does it say no more tears? What does it say? It says God will wipe away every tear. didn't say there was not going to be any more tears. I believe there's going to be tears of joy for sure, amen? But there will also be tears that God himself will wipe away. But there will be no more death. There will be no funeral possessions, no cemeteries in heaven. And as a result, there will be no sorrow and there will be no crying. But thank God there will be no more pain. No more pain. There are some that are here today who every day of their life have to go through pain. There are some who are physically hurting today, but you came to church anyway. For others, the pain is not so much physical, but perhaps it's emotional pain you deal with. Perhaps it's a pain of rejection. Perhaps you're going through the pain of failure. Perhaps the pain of disappointment. Let's face it, this pain is a part of this life. But God says there'll be no more pain in the next. Amen. Heaven is also characterized by the absence of sin. Look in verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In that verse and in 27, we're told of a lot of people that aren't going to be in heaven. It's interesting. You'd think that murderers and sexually immoral people and liars and idolaters, you'd think they'd be right at the top of the list, wouldn't you? But no, they're not. Look who's at the top of the list. Cowardly and unbelieving. What does that mean? Well, when the Bible speaks of the cowardly, I believe that it speaks about the individual who uses fear to keep them from following Jesus. I believe it stands for those who are afraid to take a stand for Jesus, afraid of what somebody might think about them. I believe it's a fear that somebody uses because they're afraid of what somebody might say if they follow Jesus. According to the Bible, the cowardly are at the top of the list of people who will not be there. But there's also says, says the unbelieving. What is the unbelieving? Certainly applies to those who refuse to believe in God. But I think it also includes people who come to church, go through the motions of worship, but never got around to trusting Jesus. Make no doubt, friend, there are people here doing that. They come, and they go through the motions, but they don't really trust Jesus as their Savior, nor as their Lord. They may be a really good person, 
But in all reality, they'd never trusted Jesus. Make no doubt, the only ones in heaven will be those whose names are written down in the book of life. That's his, his book. His book. You know, I believe that when we finally enter heaven, we're going to look and say, man, now this is what I've been looking for all my life. Yeah, I caught a glimpse of it back on earth, but this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for. Friend, if it weren't for the hope of heaven, man, we'd find this life just impossible to bear. The hope of heaven, it actually gives us the, the power to face some of the most difficult challenges on earth. It gives us the power to face the realities of this life on this planet. But in all reality, we're only aliens here. In all reality, friend, the Christian, the believer, is only a stranger here on earth. This is a foreign country to the believer. We live in tents, feeble, temporary dwellings. But I got to tell you, for those who have accepted God's invitation to receive the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, they're headed for a glorious eternity. Glorious. We may live on shifting sand down here, but I got to tell you, the believer is heading for a firm foundation in heaven, a city that will never fall, a city whose builder, a city whose maker is none other than a carpenter named Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's prepared a place for you. Do you know where you're going when you die? That's the whole reason for this whole series on eternity. It's so that you'll be able to answer that question. Do you know where you're going when you die? Or are you like that airline pilot whose navigation controls went berserk and he became disoriented and he announced to the passengers, ladies and gentlemen, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is we don't know where we're going. But the good news is we're making good time. You just making good time? Is your life just flying by? Are you just living this life with no real direction, with no real purpose? Do you have serious doubts about where you're going to spend eternity? Do you have the assurance that if you died today, you'd wake up in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? For all eternity. Are you sure? If you're sure, praise God you're sure. But if you're not, why not make sure today? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this wonderful city that awaits the believer. He or she who has place their faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the grace of God and forgiveness of our sins. Father, I thank you so much for the promise and the hope of heaven. Lord, thank you for showing us in the Bible its dimensions and its splendor, a wonderful description, and even the distinctions that make it so different from anything we've ever imagined. Father, if there's a person here who's not sure who's got serious doubts, they don't have a clue where they're spending eternity. 
Lord, don't let this day pass. Quicken their soul. Speak to their mind. Give them courage to take a step of faith and just receive my hand. Allow me to show them what the Word of God says about how they can be assured of a dwelling place you've prepared for them in heaven. Lord, what an incredible city you've prepared. Lord, I pray that every person here is absolutely sure they'll be living there for all eternity with you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,